0: morning is uh, Sunday, January 10th, 2010. Still feels very strange to say that. Our message this morning is called Radical Revolution. This, uh, this word radical revolution is something that's uh, overused. If you were a child of the 80s, uh, where you grew up in the 80s, like some of you in here did, we had Vans checkered tennis shoes that were off the wall. We had uh, all kind of Amazing, interesting fads. I myself never owned a pair of parachute pants, but I confess I greatly wanted them. Okay? I know what it is to peg my Jippo jeans and roll them up tight and wear boat shoes. and All of those kind of things. And we, we had a phrase that kind of faded out in the 80s, but we would say when something was really good, that's rad, right? Had no idea what it meant. When we say radical, you need to understand something. This word comes from a Latin base. Most of our language comes from a Latin base. And the Latin base means of or pertaining to the roots. When you say radical, we are fundamentally talking about something that has to do with the roots of an issue. This carries over so that if it's used as an adjective in the English language, it says favoring fundamental change or change at the root cause of a matter. So when you say, man, that is radical, what you mean is from the very base of a subject... All the way up, you're talking about some new uh, changing or new idea, right? So that maybe an opposite word would be that's very subtle or uh, that's very cautious. Radical is anything but cautious or subtle. Radical is an immediate, quick overturning of something. It starts at the very roots of something and moves forward. When you move forward to this word revolution... We need to understand first that the gospel is, in its essence, a radical announcement. Its calls for fundamental change deal with the root cause of a matter. When the gospel is presented in its simple, sincere, and sacrificial form, it does not address all of the window dressing. It addresses the root of an issue. So the gospel is radical. When we move towards revolution... The word revolution comes from a Latin base as well, which means to turn completely around, kind of like the word revolve, to turn completely around. When you use the word revolution to characterize a movement, hear this, how similar it is to radical, a fundamental change in the power or organizational structure that takes place in a relatively short period of time. When you cram these things together, we are talking about something that deals with the root and completely turns everything upside down and does it in short order, right away. The gospel is first and foremost radical. It deals with the root of an issue in an extreme about-face. It is secondly revolutionary. It will completely turn somebody's power structure all the way around. It moves us from being gods in our own lives to God being God of our life, and this must take place in a quick period of time. We do not gradually get saved over a long period of time. There is a moment in time where you decide to dethrone the idols, including you, and enthrone God. And it must happen immediately, a regime change. Powerful. The gospel is a call a radical revolution. At the root level, we need fundamental change to take place in a relatively short period of time. Turn to John one twenty nine. I sat in front of a young woman here just the other day. Knock on my door. Jennifer and I were getting ready for a much needed date. And I began to hear all about the peripheral issues. Well, I'm in this shape because this person said that. This person did this. I love this one. They didn't love me. I love this one. They love me, but then I wasn't sure if I really loved that one. And all of the cloud of confusion began to settle in the room. And I sat and I began to pray. And truthfully, I began to tune out all of the yip yapping that was going on in the room and just pray. And then the most amazing thing happened the Lord said, The problem is her sin. That is a radical statement. The problem is not all of the ancillary issues. It's not that this happened over there and this happened. It's not bees that are attacking somebody that's the problem. The problem is something that is much more internal. This is why the word starts with the kingdom of God being (coughs) within you. We must have a fundamental revolution in the power structure of our lives. You cannot live in a way that is outside of the kingdom never having made those root fundamental changes in your life, and expect to see the blessings of God. In John one twenty nine, we hear an amazing, radical, revolutionary statement. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away The sin of the world. You talk about getting radical. If we're radical has to do with making an about face, an amazing change at a root level, what caused the world to get in the shape that it's in? Sin. The root cause of all of our problem is sin, and John just identified the man who would be the catalyst for change. Did he say he only takes away David's sin? He only takes away Abel's sin. There's the Lamb of God who's come to take away CJ's sin. No, he said the sin of the whole world order. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about universal salvation in the sense that reprobates teach it. I'm talking about he is dealing with the sin problem at a root level in everyone's lives, period. Period. By putting everything in its proper order with God, by putting everything in its proper place. What a radical, revolutionary idea. The problem is pervasive. What area has sin not affected your life? If you were like me, you cannot even turn on the television to watch a history program without you and your children being assaulted by something that you don't want to see. It's pervasive, it's systemic meaning that every single area of our life, not only has it gone into, but it's nearly universally contaminated the world. Is there any area of the globe you can go to and not be touched by man's sin? Then it's systemic. It's epidemic. It's epidemic because it's not just David's sin we're dealing with or Gabe's sin we're dealing with. From the one man, Adam, all men came. And in Adam, all die, every one of us is dying from the same epidemic problem with sin. Man, this is the problem that's come upon the world. The solution is a fundamental change in your power structure. Ladies, where do you find your sense of fulfillment? Men, where do you find your sense of worth? What powers you each day to get up and do something that day? There needs to be a fundamental shift in our power structure. I know that when I was lost, I wrote on cards, Who will prepare? And on these cards, I listed my workout regimen. And every day I worked to increase that. And there was a self-generated power to try to become something more than I was that day. This was a carnal attempt But Eric was the center of the power structure and at the end of the day, all Eric wanted was to be more powerful. There has to be a fundamental change. The gospel entered into Eric's life and suddenly I was not interested in building the outer man. Suddenly Eric didn't need to become more powerful. What does the scripture say? Eric must diminish that Jesus could increase. There must be a power change in your life as long as we're holding on to one part of the root, saying, oh, well, I mean, I'm saved, but... I'm a Christian, but... We've never understood quite how radical this change needs to be. Turn with me to Mark 1. If you want more on this subject, there was a message in last December's archive online called "Revolution." I talked to you about the storming of the French Bastille, the Liberty Bell. talked to you about the Bolshevik Revolution. I have no idea. I don't remember half of the things that I paramed into that message as far as history. At some point we were talking about the Tonkin Bay incident. <laughs> you know, I did everything that I could to try to grab your attention in some way. And yet the need for revolution even within our church is still very present even within my life, still very present. Before I read you this next thing, I want you to understand that going outside of our country, seeing needs outside of my own neighborhood, is revolutionizing the way that I think. I came back on December 24th and turned on the television for the first time in a long time. And there was a commercial with a man cutting a filet mignon on a table. It looked so good. Made my mouth kind of water. I am a steak eater. Then he began cutting this chicken breast that was succulent. And then carrots. And then all kinds of beautiful vegetables. And he turns and says, because you deserve the very best. You know who he was talking to? His dog. Select dog food. I just came from a place where people were scraping flour out of the dirt because they were starving. And this man's dog deserves the very best. Are you kidding me? I've seen that commercial hundreds of times. It never bothered me. And all of a sudden now it's a gut-wrenching change that made me want to kick the television. Why? The commercial didn't change. Eric is changing. I'm inviting you to go on this change with me because it is authentic Christianity. We cannot sit back and pray, Lord bless me why a billion people are starving to death. We cannot sit back and pray, Lord bless me when five-sixths of the world population is going to hell. We cannot do it. We can't just build bigger churches that we meet in a couple hours a week and call ourselves blessed and not do the work of Jesus. We cannot do it. I will not spend my life gathering around me a bless me group. I will not do it. It's never been my intention, and yet there's this constant pressure that Romans 12 talks about to conform, to conform. It's pushing on you at all sides at all times. You start to say things like, well, I shouldn't have to feel guilty for the things that I have. No, but you must ask yourself the question, why do I have it? Is this filet mignon really to feed my dog because he deserves it? While a child starves, are you kidding me? What makes us so entitled? I began to see it in youth that I was counseling. I hope it doesn't offend you if I'm very honest, but every once in a while I just want to reach across the table and palm somebody across the face. (laughs) And the thing that is most frustrating, yeah, if you're with me with my children, every once in a while you might see that, but I can't. The thing that is most frustrating is because there is an innate sense of entitlement. Mm. The world owes me everything. Mm. Everything. Mm. Mom didn't do this. Dad didn't do that. And I am owed, I am owed, I am owed, I am owed. Well, where did they get that sense of entitlement? Mm. Like that old drug commercial, from watching you, Dad. (laughs) From watching you, Dad. That's where we got it. Because our society is so sick with it that what we're calling Christianity is a powerless form of the gospel. This is why we don't see the moving of... We're satisfied to see somebody knocked down while somebody else is in a wheelchair. Are you kidding me?
1: Mm.
0: If you got something in the spirit in this church, praise God. probably happened a bunch more times. My house, Peter's house, here, anywhere you go, and I'm glad for it. But if the goal of God is to entertain you by knocking you down (laughs) while somebody is in a wheelchair, I'm not interested.
1: That's right.
0: I've been in all of the healing meetings and I've watched it. David, you have a headache? Let's pray for you. 30, 40 minutes. How you feel, buddy? You doing good? Are you healed? Here, let's stand up. Let's walk and all. Right here is somebody dying. Amen. Uh, You got an unseen issue? Cold? How how you feeling, buddy? Your mother, sisters, brothers, cousins, sick, somewhere? Let's pray for their dog. Mm -hmm. Dying. What is wrong with us? Mm -hmm. We're scared we'll be seen for what we are, which in many cases is part of our tricks. This one grew out a leg. Really? Are we really going to do that? If his leg grew, measure it before and afterwards. But don't pull the heel of a shoe and call it a miracle, please. The church of God has got too many black eyes because the people are not acting like Jesus. Are you in Mark 1? Yes. Yes. First chapter of Mark, 14th verse. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Before we read any further, look from the first word of Mark, the beginning of the gospel, all the way down to where we're at. Are there any other red words? There's not. The first red words in the book of Mark start in the 15th verse. If you have a Bible that's red-lettered anyway. (laughs) This red-lettered edition is to draw attention to Jesus' words. Isn't it interesting that the gospel that they say that was written first, the very first words recorded of Jesus, I mean, we're going to sit down and write a story about all Jesus said and did. We're going to do it truthfully, factually, because we want it to change the whole world. What do we write? Of all the things Jesus said and did, where do we Start with the first gospel letter that's going to go out to the whole world. What's that first red letter word? The time has come. It's not tomorrow. It's not the next day. It's not something that can be procrastinated. Soon as you hear these words, your time has come. The kingdom of God is near. There's a fundamental power change coming. Repent, revolution, turn around. Repent and believe the good news. Of all the things that Mark could have written and all the ways that he could have said it, he wanted the readers to know first and foremost, a time period has now come upon you. It's not tomorrow. It's not deliberated a month. It is right now, this moment. There must be a change in your life a complete revolution in your way of thinking. And if it is not radical, meaning addressing the very roots of your life, then it is not the gospel. If it is not completely revolutionized, if it's just a renovation, it is not the gospel. The gospel addresses you from the foundations of your being all the way through the last expression of what kind of fingernail polish you ladies might wear. Because if He is Lord of all, He is your Lord. If He is not Lord of all, He is not Your Lord. There's the lie in the American gospel. He can be Lord of some of you. He can be Lord of an area of your life. There is a perfect will of God and a permissive will. What ridiculous garbage. And I tell you what, it would not sell anywhere but among the most apathetic, lazy Christian body on the planet, which is right here in the United States. Do you know that the United States has 4% of the world's population? and yearly has 25% of the world's wealth, not to mention what's stored. We produce 25% of the world's wealth. Why then have we not changed the world for Jesus? Why is God raising up humble Chinese and Mexican men to go to nations that Americans won't go to? Could it be because we're sitting back saying, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me? Radical revolution. (laughs) The first red words in Mark call for a revolution. Repent. They call for a radical regime change, a fundamental power structure shift called kingdom. (laughs) Jesus immediately began recruiting people to the cause. Listen to this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Who were they following before that? Doesn't matter. It was not Jesus. A fundamental root cause power change right here. Could have been following themselves. Could have been following daddy. Could have been following Hillel. Could have been following Shama, Could have been following. Doesn't matter. The word of God came. The time was then. Step into the kingdom by doing what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it. Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. The gospel call to the first adherents was you follow me. The promise for them was not celestial kingdoms. It was not you will be wealthy. It was not "Oh, all the wicked have stored up all this wealth and you're going to get it. It was not whatever sacrifice you make seven times it's going to come back to you. What was the promise made to them? I'm going to make you a, a disciple maker. If you follow me, I will make you like me. You will be part of the power structure that I'm setting up. You will be the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Come on, you ever met people in church settings and you look and realize that's not kingdom? That is not the kingdom Jesus talked about. Sounds pretty, sings pretty, prays pretty, but it's not the kingdom. If you've never experienced that, I'm sorry, you've lived a sheltered life. Because all you need to do is go get in a room full of people who call themselves Christians and pray, and you will find out who has power and who does not. You will find out who is within God's authority structure and who is not. You can feel it. And if you can't, I invite you to do a self-examination. Something's wrong with you. There is a root problem. If you cannot feel it, if you do not see it, something's wrong with you. Something's not wrong with everybody else who can see it. Something's wrong with you. Your spiritual vision needs to change. If you're sitting out there in this gnawing feeling is Eric. if you are so judgmental, you, I mean, you cannot say that about all of those people. I mean, they're good people. Something is wrong with you because the Scripture says that most are perishing. We cannot sit around and act like most are succeeding. And if most are perishing, how can it not be anyone you know? How could most of them be perishing and it not be anybody you were responsible for? How could that be? There must be a radical revolutionary idea that raises in us. It must happen. Guys, what did they leave to follow him? It'd be faster to say what didn't they leave to follow him. What did you leave to follow him? Something that cost you nothing is cheap. Anybody ever had the misfortune of giving a teenager a car? Just giving it to them? Pay their gas? Pay their insurance? Why are you surprised when they beat it up, when they don't clean it, when it's wrecked? Something quickly obtained, even if it is a treasure in the end, is not a blessing. Proverbs teach us that. If it cost you nothing to become a Christian, no wonder it's so cheap. Do you think that could be the problem? That it's just so easy to say, hey, I'm a believer and it means nothing, so it's cheap. How many of you would follow Jesus if to follow him meant you were publicly flogged? Well, that's an easy question to answer intellectually. But when it came time for the flogging, how many do you think had resolved to do it, couldn't find the strength to do it? See, these are the questions. How radical is your Christianity? Eric, how could you beat on them like this? Because I'm proud of you. I love you. I want you to go do the things that Jesus said would follow those who believe him. Or we can sit around and just be part of the same religious structure that does not bring life and extorts men. We can blame the Catholic Church and as Protestants repeat every single sin that the Catholic Church did to the world. It's happening all around us right now. We raise up for ourselves leaders that speak well and live poorly. We've gathered around ourselves teachers that teach what our itching ears want to hear. What do we Americans love to hear? I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Bless me more. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Let me ask you if 25% for 4% of the world, 25% of the wealth for 4% of the world, if that's not enough, what is enough? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If most of the world subsists on less than a dollar a day and you subsist on $100 a day, how much blessing do you need before you become radical for Jesus? Mm -hmm. They left everything to follow him. I'm inviting you to say, Lord, what stands in my way of being a radical revolutionary? No price is too high. My pride will not keep me. Let's talk real issues here for a moment. I only have so much time. One billion people, that's billion with a B, do not have enough to eat on a daily basis. When you think of a billion people, it's an impossible task, but I want to help you with it. There are more people that do not have enough to eat on a daily basis, ongoing starvation and malnutrition, than live in all of the United States, all of Canada, and all of the European Union combined. Still didn't quite make a dent. How do you visualize so many people? If you think of this as percentages, if you think of a hundred people that you know, a hundred people, Now you have to imagine 18 of them malnourished or starving. For every 100 people on this planet, so just think of 100, 18 of them are dying from not enough to eat. Bless me, Lord. I eat most of the time so much that I'm tired when I'm done. Remember, you're thinking of a hundred people in this room, a hundred people. Eighteen of them are malnourished and starving. But fifteen of them are medically overweight. If you were the king of the universe, would you not call that injustice? I'm overweight, I'm not picking on overweight, that is not the point. The point is, how does that affect your life now? If you're like me, when you see the starving kids and the flies, you just hit the next channel. You'd rather not think about it. I'm inviting you to think about it. And not think about what some national organization should do. I'm finding out the further I go in Christianity, God works with churches that are less than 100 people every day to meet needs. And He does it dare I say, in a more efficient manner than he would do with churches of thousands and thousands. And the reason is, there is no bureaucracy, there is only obedience. There are no large salaries, there is only obedience. There is no multi-million dollar buildings, there is only obedience. Hear this one. There is no glory, there is only obedience. There are pastors in this world that are godly men, but they cannot go to the mall without security. I can go anywhere in the world and nobody knows my name. If you were thinking of those same hundred people, 83 of them would have water. That's good, right? Isn't that good? 83 have water? What about the 17 that don't? 17 on a daily basis do not have drinking water out of every hundred people on the planet. I'm going to tell you something I've said many times. Not being harsh. I'm just telling you many times this is changing my thoughts. It's revolutionizing. If you know that 17 out of every 100 people on the planet do not have drinking water, how is it that we let our kids waste 7 or 8 bottles of water in this church every single Sunday? Mm -hmm. That the number one thing in those trash cans when we carry out the trash at the end of the evening is half drunk water bottles. How could we do that? Mm-hmm. So, Eric, you want me guilt laden and walking around? No, no, no. I want you empowered to do something different. Mm-hmm. I want you to begin to be concerned with something besides self. Mm-hmm. 25 people out of every 100 that you know would have no stored food supply.
1: Mm.
0: None. No pantry. No refrigerator. They would have... No shelter from the elements. Twenty-five out of a hundred, if it represented the world, do not have anything to crawl under to get out of the rain. Can you imagine that? One of the advantages of being God is He is up high. He sees all mankind and considers everything they do. And twenty-five out of every hundred people on this globe don't have shelter from the elements. That is staggering, isn't it? That is staggering. 25% of the world's population struggles with basic need of shelter. Only one, if the 100 people in this room represented the world. By the way, there's an email going around. It's not right. You'll see it. it. says, if the world had 100 people in it, this is what it would look like. It's not right. Snopes.com and other people have blown it out of the water. These figures that I'm giving you were worked backwards from the national statistics. Okay? It's not that jokey man. Only one out of a hundred in the world has a college education. But we'll let our kids go to school for nine years and pay for it. <laughs> well, Mom, you know, I just didn't feel like studying. Only one in every hundred owns a computer in the whole world. I've probably got four or five in my house. Whoa. Every six seconds, every six seconds, think about that. I've been preaching now, I don't know, I've never been good with how long I've been preaching. (laughs) (laughs) Every six seconds, a child dies from hunger-related issues. Six seconds. In sub saharan Africa alone, the epidemic has orphaned nearly 12 million children, the epidemic of AIDS. 12 million. Every illegal immigrant in the United States, every single one, you'd have to picture as being an orphan from AIDS. That's how many people that is. Twelve million kids are orphaned because their parents have died of AIDS in one area of Africa alone. Mm-hmm.
1: Do,
0: you think that, do you think that the problem is staggering? Jesus changed the entire world with twelve, 12 followers. One of them turned out to be a devil, and then the movement began to grow. Turn the whole known world upside down with 12. Out of that same hundred group of people that represent the world, you know how many are supposed to be Christians on the surveys? 31. A third of the world's population is supposed to be Christian, and 25% struggle with shelter. How does that work? 31. All uh, right. Uh, you get mad at me if you have uh, strong ties to Rome here. If you remove the Catholics from the Christian, number, that leaves 14 out of the 100. 14 have not been able to change a 100. But in the first century, the church was so powerful that 12 changed the known world. Do you think that there's something wrong? John 14, 11 says this. Believe me, when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Will do what Jesus had been doing. Anyone who has faith in Him will do what Jesus has been doing. Did you ever hear Jesus sitting around playing Bless me, Lord. Give me the wealth of the wicked. Lord, I'm just believing you for that new raise in the bigger house, in the pool. Lord, I'm just believing you for more, 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 more. Did you ever hear it? Some monopolized the fact that Jesus had things. He had a one-piece woven garment that that was valuable enough that Romans gambled to see who would get it. They had money in the treasury at times enough to buy food for thousands of people, but didn't. They had enough possessions that somebody could break a jar on Jesus' feet to anoint him for burial. It's not that they didn't have things. But do you think there was a single thing there that was not used for the kingdom of God? Abraham was a blessed man. 100% of his blessing was for The kingdom. Whose power structure are you investing in? Hear the rest of this verse. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. (laughs) Greater things than Jesus? How did Jesus take 12 disciples, one of whom was a devil, change the whole world, the face of the globe changed, And supposedly 30 some odd people out of every 100 on the planet are Christians and we've not been able to do anything about these problems. One man full of faith prayed and fed 5,000. said, well, that was just that age. It doesn't happen anymore. I gave all of you a book for Christmas that proves it does happen. One crazy little girl from Malibu, California who speaks and acts like a hippie Nothing to look at, nothing to think, oh, this is a great theological powerhouse. But when she prays, food multiplies for as many people as need to eat it. Amen. Amen. Husband's a humble man that you don't get to hear a whole lot about. Sired from missionaries, his entire life has been spent serving people who had nothing. Does it matter that you don't know much about him? I guarantee you heaven knows Roland Baker's name. The time for talk and half measures to alleviate us from action and to insulate us from cost needs to end. It is time and it begins with you. This was the call that went out in the original Gospel message. Now is the time. You heard earlier that God is separating Gabe and Debbie, right? So Gabe and Debbie now have a chance to think about their lives in Arkansas. What does it look like? Is it about building our comfort? Is it about gaining prestige? Is it about accumulating wealth? What do our lives look like? Those of you that are not going anywhere have an even easier task. I already have a life, Lord. What does it need to look like? What does it need to look like? Do I want to be as ridiculous as the man on that select dog food commercial? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Is that really what what you want? When heaven looks at you, is that what you want heaven to see? Mm -hmm. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Matthew 16 would be a good place for you to turn. Believe that the Lord has told us that we have broken fallow ground and that there would be a harvest this year. That harvest does not happen if we do not do certain things. And when I say we, I mean every man, woman, and child in the room. What gives you the right to sit on your salvation while the brother next to you sacrificially gives, works, and hurts for the kingdom? Oh, that's right. We're Americans. But so are they. You understand what I'm trying to say here? I don't want to be outworked by the rest of the world's Christian population. Don't want to do it. I don't want to sit and just be another person that comes off as superior, blessed, apathetic, and lazy. I don't want to do it. I want to be the guy that will go find the ones that are crippled and in bed and can't get to it. Isn't that what the prophecy was about this morning? Isn't that it? I don't need a church full of Ken and Barbies. Some of you are very good looking and I'm proud of you. I mean, Jennifer is a fox. But we serve a God that cares about people with buck teeth. Cares about people who stink cares about people that are fat or too thin. cares about people with strange hairlines and unusual tics. He does. We don't, but He does. See, there's a disparity. Some of you said there's hope for you. Huh? <laughs> See, there's a disparity. I don't want that to exist. I don't want to be the one that would have picked any of David's brothers but David. At least Samuel heard from God when God spoke to him. You in Matthew 16?: Yes, yeah. Matthew 16, pick up with me in 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself." <coughs> you need to understand that there is no way to follow Jesus without denying yourself, and this has been the lie of the American gospel. The American gospel said, "Follow Jesus, bless, 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 bless." Now the first thing that happens when you follow Jesus is you learn to deny your self. Take up His cross. It's not just a cross, it's also a cause. It is the cause of removing sin anywhere and everywhere you see it. But Lord, that's not my sin. Did Jesus only deal with His sin? That's right, He had no sin to deal with. So whose sin was He dealing with? Yours. Lord, that's not my mess, I'm not going to clean it up. Then you are not denying yourself and taking up the cross. Because taking up the cross means you care about the mess He's gotten into as much as the mess you got yourself into. It is a very American thing to say, well, I'm blessed because I've been obedient to hell with the rest of them that haven't. (laughs) You're hungry? Must not have been dwelling in God's presence. I've said it. i passed by the people with the hungry signs and said you don't get there by being obedient to God. And yes, there is truth in that. But Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. Not just your nice, neat, tidy life. That's right. Are you going to be on His team taking up His calls or not? He made His bed, let Him lie in it. Really, is that how God treated you? There's some people in my life that have gone out of their way to twist the knife. I mean, like they put it on a rotary system. Jesus didn't come just to take care of my sin can take care of theirs too. That's why the kingdom is full of forgiveness. Or else you're not full of the kingdom. If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. The secret to the kingdom is that the radical changes, the revolutionary thought, means that you begin to find life by giving yourself away.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That every time you sacrifice and hurt and give a piece of your heart and a piece of your life for Jesus away, He gives you a piece of His heart and His life to replace what you lost. Mm. How radical do you want to be? Mm. He's coming and there will be a reward with Him. There will be a recompense with Him. I read this Wednesday, but I'm going to read it again because you need to hear it. This is from Michael Brown's book. It will be in our library soon, Revolution in the Church. reading from page 12. For many, however, the thought of revolution in the church is unsettling. What if some of our spiritual foundations need adjusting? That would be embarrassing. What if sweeping even extreme change is required? What if the very concept of church must be overhauled? What if it costs some of us our jobs or our livelihoods and our careers? Dear God, what if I lose my congregation? If you lose your congregation because you're following Jesus, let's be honest, you didn't have one. You know how many times personally in my short life someone has told me that? Three or four times in coffee shops here in Sugarland. And I'm not even talking about the Baptist, I know.
1: <laughs>
0: if I did that, they would all leave. Well, I guess you better decide how revolutionary and radical you want to be, huh? Right. Amen. You gonna play it safe? Whose power structure are you working in? Jesus? or your denominational structure. Mm. Revolution rightly understood is a disturbing word. Simply stated, there is no such thing as a nice revolution. Or to express it another way, a revolution that costs nothing is worth nothing. How revolutionary do you really want to be? The man goes on to ask very specific questions. I'm asking you, how revolutionary do you really want to be? 2 Timothy, let's go there. You'll have a few more minutes for me to teach you? Mm -hmm. Those of you that know me very well, and almost everybody in this building does, at the very least you know that these same standards I'm asking you to apply to your life, I do apply to mine. It's not as if I'm living in an ivory tower somewhere saying, you people need to do this. We are struggling with everything that we can we give more money to missions during the months that we cannot pay our own rent than we give during the months that we can. And yet every month our rent has gotten paid. Praise God for your obedience. It's amazing how that works. You must deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Him. Nowhere in Jesus' message did He say, look, keep some in reserve, play it safe. I mean, after all, you've got to look out for you. That's the American Gospel. That is not... God's Gospel. You in 2 Timothy 3? Yes. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Listen to what the Bible calls terrible times. When you hear, "ooh, terrible times are coming on us, what do you think? We're going to have famine. We're going to have persecution. Our lives are going to be hard, right? Terrible times. It might, might be hard. No air conditioning. Terrible times. Listen to what the Bible calls terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves. Loss of air conditioning is not terrible. You know what's terrible? Self-love. Lovers of money. Loss of medical insurance is not terrible. It's terrible to love money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. You hear me, young people? The Bible calls that terrible. Terrible. terrible times are not marked by hunger. They're not marked by the persecution of the Antichrist. At least not alone. They're marked by a church that is not radically revolutionary because it is full of selfish ambition and pride. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than of God. Lovers of pleasure. An embarrassing amount of my life is spent seeking pleasure. And trying to revolutionize my life on a radical level. That cares more about their need than my pleasure. Can you say that? More about their need. More about their need than my pleasure. That's gospel, saints. It doesn't roll off the tongue though, does it? having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with Him. Terrible times are marked by an age in which it looks like the church, but it's not the church. Terrible times are marked by those who are called Christ but have not the power of Christ. Terrible times are when somebody wears the sign, Christian, but they don't care about the things God cares about. And if you don't think we're in those times, then how can 18 out of every 100 people on the planet be starving and it not have touched our life in any way? Mm. Isn't that an interesting question? Mm. At the root level, we need to rework our power structure. We need to begin asking, Lord, they're starving. I know you care. Is that something you want me to do? Or is it, somebody starving in my neighborhood? Or is it somebody not starving for food that is starving spiritually? But somehow or another, I have to be moved by the needs of the people around me or I am not taking care of the sin in the world. I'm going to read to you just a couple more Scriptures. Turn with me to Acts. I'm going to be in the first chapter.
1: There.
0: In Acts, the first chapter. By the way, being a lover of pleasure is completely inconsistent with being a lover of God mm. because His character is self-sacrificing. You think maybe that's the problem is that we are self-focused and the gospel is selfless and so we don't see its power, we don't move in its ways. So how do you, how do you fix a problem like that? You look for ways to deny self that you might take up the revolutionary cause. Every revolution has its symbol. People that I don't think have any idea, I don't think they know what they're wearing, wear figureheads of revolution around on the streets today. And they don't know what the people stood for. The iconic revolutionary symbol of Christianity has become a nice, neat, pretty jewelry-like cross. But the reality, the iconic symbol, was the bloody, beaten Savior. And we were to rally around the bloody, beaten Savior. And the reason that we were is because it was the focal point. He is the focal point. And we're supposed to say, he endured that for me. I'll endure anything for him. And then knowing that he was raised, that we will be raised. Do you notice how we've stripped that out? We've stripped every. Our crosses are pretty. Our revolutions are tame. They're nice, they're neat, they're polite. Don't offend anybody. Jesus was the most offensive person that ever walked the planet. Read. He called people children of the devil. Paul wrote in the Holy Scripture he wished that these people were emasculated. Yeah. Preacher get fired for saying that today. Good thing I don't work for you.
1: <laughs> you in
0: Acts 1? Yes. 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 Look at the fourth verse. On one occasion while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My Father promised which you have heard Me speak about. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Jesus did not want to spread powerless Christianity. These men were incomplete without the Holy Spirit's baptism. Do you hear me? Jesus did not let them leave Jerusalem without getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hmm. So you can get mad at me all day long if I say you are not equipped for ministry without the baptism in the Holy Ghost, but Jesus said it. So if the doctrine of your church says we do not believe in the baptism in the Holy Ghost, that's okay. You're just not fit for ministry. There you go. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem. And they were obedient. And the obedient got empowered. And what were they empowered for? They interrupted. They asked Him a question. Lord, are You at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are You going to do for us what we need? The Gospel always focuses you on what other people need.
1: That's right.
0: The problem with the American Gospel is there is no power in it because we will not wait in Jerusalem. There is no power in it because we won't said, first, you cannot leave Jerusalem until you have what I have in me in you. Secondly, quit asking me about selfish things. Listen to what he did focus them on. It is not for you to know about the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power. Good, bless me Lord, bless me Lord. No, When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, you cannot leave until you get what I have for you because it's not about you. It's about them. You're going to start in your neighborhood, Jerusalem. You're going to move outside your neighborhood, Judea. You're going to even go as far as those yucky people in Samaria and then you're going to go to the Gentile dogs in all of the earth. I will empower you for them will not empower you for you. (laughs) This is the Gospel. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. And follow Him. We'll do even greater things. Quit asking for selfishness. Quit being concerned about your problems and your problems and your problems and start to care about their problems and you will find power. 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 I want to read you a passage. It's very short. know how time conscious we all are. This man has been imprisoned more times than I can count. When I read about his life, I feel like I still need to get born again. I'm only about half joking about that. (laughs) His name is Brother Yoon. This book is The Heavenly Man. I'm reading from page 290. You can get it out of our library. See, Suzanne. Each Back to Jerusalem missionary receives training in several main subjects. This is his seminary. Seminary, right? Think about this as it relates to what they teach in those schools. You know those schools. Number one, how to suffer and die for the Lord. We examine what the Bible says about suffering and we look at how the Lord's people have laid down their lives for the advance of the Gospel throughout history. The number one thing they train on is how to deny yourself and take up the cross. Is it any wonder that these Chinese people are going to the Muslim strongholds where they're beheading people while we sit back and pray, Bless me, Lord. I'm so jealous of them, I don't know what to do. Second, there's only going to be three, so you can listen to all three. How to witness for the Lord. We teach how to witness for the Lord, hear this, under any circumstance, on trains, or buses, or even in the back of a police van on our way to the execution ground. Number one, we're going to teach you how to die for Jesus. Number two, we're going to teach you how to live and tell other people about Jesus. Oh, there is a number three, to graduate from his seminary. Number three, how to escape for the Lord. (laughs) We know that sometimes it is the Lord who sends us to prison to witness for him. But we also believe that the devil sometimes wants us to go to prison to stop the ministry God has called us to do. We teach the missionaries special skills such as how to free themselves from handcuffs and how to jump from second story windows without injuring themselves. I don't want to embarrass anybody in here. But do you think that's what your previous pastor? Is that what you went to religious training to learn? <laughs> He wouldn't even be allowed to speak in most churches because he doesn't have the right paperwork. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next is 1.11. Don't turn there. It says that the Egyptians put slave masters over God's people and they subjected them to forced labor. Next is 3.7. God said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. He said, So I'm going to send you, Moses. You remember Moses had a hard time? But, but Lord, but Lord, blah, 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 blah. And they all related to self. And God reminded Moses who owned Moses. I'm telling you today, look upon the forced labor of the people in the world. Look upon their misery. See it. Begin to care. And then say, Lord, send me. And you don't have to go to grass huts in Africa. Two relative strangers knocked on my front door a couple days ago and they're as broken and as beaten as anybody I've ever seen in my life even though they have enough food to eat a third walked in this church this morning told me that he was concerned about being here because things had the potential to get violent strange thing to say isn't it so I grabbed him by both sides of his chest pulled him two inches from my face and said you need to be born again he soaked out like a little kid. People rarely know what will heal them. He missed an opportunity today. Will you miss yours? Will you miss yours? We're going to worship here. I've given you this quote many times before, but I wrote it down, and I love it enough to give it to you many more times. David Livingstone was a man among men. In the weak, impotent church of his day, said, David, we want badly to send you missionaries, to send you help to further the work of God in Africa. Are there any good roads to where you're at? His response is, so Jesus, so classic. He simply wrote back, if the missionaries you intend to send will only come if there are good roads, I think you should keep them the kind I prefer, go where there are no roads at all. I'm asking you saints to let God empower you to make roads into the unbreakable heart of your relative, to make roads into your neighbor's lives, to make roads into the young woman who's given herself to everybody in the world and not found happiness, to make roads into the lives of people that have been lied to, by organized religion to the point where they have accepted powerless Christianity. I'm asking you to quit praying for your personal enrichment and start praying that you get to give. Get to give. I put our jar back up here. I don't have a project at the moment, but I can tell you this. I have opportunities to speak in India. I have a really unique opportunity that is both a vacation and a speaking opportunity in Puerto Rico. I have an opportunity to go to Israel. Opportunities are starting to open because we have a kingdom message. I'm asking you to care and I am telling you that whatever goes in that jar, 100% of it will go to missions or to feed the poor in our own country.
1: Amen. One or the other. Amen.
0: Missions there or here. Here and I'm going to leave it there. And we're no longer going to put money in the jar to buy your bottled water. Truthfully, that was not working anyway. We're going to leave it there, and we're going to leave it clear so that you can see it. And we're going to let this be a thermometer of where our blessings meter is. And I'll tell you what's in it every so often, and we'll move forward, and we will look for the right opportunity to sow God's seed. But what our church will not do is build bigger and prettier buildings that we don't need. What our church will not do is look for ways to enrich our own lives without enriching the lives of other people. We're not going to do it. I've read the parable of the talents and I'm horrified. Your homework, church, would be to read Matthew 25, parable of the talents. I want to remind you that Jesus prayed not that we would be taken from the world in John 17, but that we would be set apart from the world while in it. It's a Jewish concept called tikkun ha-olam. And it means we need to be about the business of repairing the world. I invite you to repair the world with us. Y'all stand and we'll pray. We'll worship. And ask God to speak to our hearts.